Open your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 4. While they're turning, let me mention that uh, um, yesterday, on yesterday, um, uh, um, yeah, well, Ellie was the, I kept wanting to call her Sarah. Uh, Ellie um, Olson and James Toplowski uh, got married. So uh, in Virginia, I think it was. And so uh, congratulations to them. And I hope you'll be praying for them as they establish their new home together and let the Lord lead them uh, in the way that they should go. All right, Philippians chapter 4, the latter part of the chapter. Uh, Paul is wrapping up his letter to the church at Philippi. And uh, we find in this latter portion, between verses 10 and verse 20, uh, two verses that are very familiar to us as believers. Uh, there are two promises that God gives that we have, in most cases, I think most of us would have them memorized. And, uh, and they're, they're promises that are very helpful to us as believers. The first one is found in verse number 13, Philippians 4 and verse 13. And it says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And then chapter 4 and verse 19 is another verse that most of us have memorized. And it says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Two promises that we grab hold of and that we use to help us when we are facing a challenge or when we have a specific need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Those are two very precious promises that are found in God's word. Now, the problem is sometimes we use them improperly. For example, the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Is there a caveat to that? Is there a prerequisite for that? Is there a, a condition that goes along with that promise? Well, obviously there is. I can do all things as long as the thing that I'm trying to do is what God wants me to do. It doesn't mean I can go out and do just anything I want to and that God's going to strengthen me and help me to accomplish that. Everything, every promise that we see in God's Word needs to be preceded by a couple of conditions. Number one, it is God's plan. It's God's plan. And number two, it fits God's purpose. And number three, we depend upon God's power for it to happen. So if I say I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, I have to make sure, first of all, what it is I'm thinking about doing meets his purpose in my life, what he's called me to do. Number two, it means that I acknowledge that he's got a way to accomplish that purpose. And number three, he's got the power, and I'm going to trust him to give it to me to accomplish it. Now, if you look in the passage and look at the context which we're going to do, then you come to realize that that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. Look beginning in verse number 10. 
Now, earlier in the chapter, he talks about how to have peace, and that's very important as well. But uh, he changes, changes his focus a little bit, beginning in verse number 10. And he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Now notice this, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, this is a learned concept, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to, look at the next two words, suffer need. Paul says, I can suffer need if I need to for the cause of Christ. But then he goes on. Look at verse 14. Notwithstanding ye have done well that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again into my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Now we've got another verse that fits with, I know how, both how to be abased, I know how to abound. Well, verse number 18, he says, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So you have two promises. One that has to do with what I can do. One that has to do with what God's going to do. The first one says, I can do anything God wants me to do. The second one says that God's going to supply my need as I'm trying to do what he says for me to do. And and we need to be very careful that we don't lift those verses out of context to make them fit either what we want to do without regard for what God wants, or that we expect God to supply anything we want instead of just everything that we need. So two things, what we do, and number two, what God does. Now I want you to turn to the book of 1 Kings. And I want to illustrate those two principles in the life of someone who we know very well. And that is the prophet Elijah. Now if I were to ask you to tell me what you know about the prophet Elijah, the first thing you would say probably is has to do with the challenge with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. God did a great thing there. He challenged Ahab. He challenged the prophets of Baal. He built an altar and did ridiculous things to it that would make it almost impossible for you to be able to have a, a, a burning sacrifice there. I mean, poured water on it, poured a trench around it. Filled up the trench with water. All kinds of things. And then he said, God is going to, he's, he's going to light that fire anyway. And God did it. And 
our great victory was won. You remember what happened after that? Jezebel wasn't happy about him killing all the prophets of Baal. And so she threatened him, and what did he do? If you look in chapter 19, the Bible says, verse 1, I have told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, Go, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Verse 3, And when Elijah saw that he rose and went to his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there, and he went on and sat down underneath a juniper tree and started feeling sorry for himself. Now, how did he get there? Number one, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That was demonstrated on Mount Carmel, was it not? I mean, he did something that was, that was very specific and, and pretty miraculous and won a great victory over the prophets of Baal at that place. But here, he's gone into isolation, sitting down under a juniper tree and complaining and, and, and whining and, and, uh, and feeling sorry for himself. How did he get to that place? Well, let's go back to the beginning. So that's 1 Kings chapter 17. Actually, we're going to go back to 1 Kings 16 and let's look at why Elijah came on the scene. Look at verse 29 of chapter 16, 1 Kings 16. The Bible says that in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 20 and 2 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. That's a pretty pretty uh, strong statement. Ahab was so bad, he did evil worse than any king that preceded him. How would you like that to be your legacy? The thing that everybody remembers about you is you were the most evil king of all the kings. You were the most evil president. You're the most evil pastor that the church ever had. How would you like for that to be your legacy? That's what was going on with Ahab. Look at verse number 31. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. You understand what that's saying? It was just, it was a casual thing. You know, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a hard thing for him. He just chose to do what he wanted to do and did it and and he walked in the sins of Jeroboam, and, and it was a light thing that he would do that. But uh, he walked in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And then look at this. And he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians. Now, now remember that. We're going to come back to that in a moment. He took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Here's a second statement about him. The first one is he was more evil than any king that lived before him. 
But not only that, he did more to provoke God than any king that lived before him. Then we have in verse 34 a verse that seems completely unrelated to the context of this passage. But then we come to verse 1 of chapter 17. And all of a sudden, Elijah appears. You understand that Elijah has not been mentioned anywhere in Scripture until 1 Kings 17 and verse number 1. No place else. Lots of times after 1 Kings 17 and 1, but nothing before that. So our introduction of Elijah is this. Verse 1, chapter 17. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab. Somehow, he got in to see the king. The first, the first information we receive about Elijah is that he's standing before King Ahab. Not, it's not just that he got in to see the king. He got in to see the most evil king that had ever, ever presided over the nation of Israel. The one who had done the most to provoke God to anger. The first thing we hear about him, he's standing before King Ahab. And notice what it says. He said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. That's an interesting statement. He's, he's standing before Ahab, but he says, I'm not standing before the king. I'm standing before God. He says, The Lord God of Israel, as he liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So Ahab burst onto the scene out of nowhere, and he's standing before, I'm sorry, Elijah does, and he's standing before Ahab, and he says to him, Hey, God, I'm standing before God, and it's not going to rain until I say it is. That's what he says. And that's all we're told. Except that the next thing that happened is the Lord speaks to him. Notice the the phrasing here, because we're going to see it several times. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and notice this, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Verse 5, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. So, after his meeting with Ahab, after his declaration, it's not going to rain, God said, you know what? You need to get out of Dodge. That's what he's saying. He said, go and hide there. Verse 3, get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. Said, said you, need, you need to get away. Ahab's not happy about this, and things could get a little uncomfortable, so let's, let's get you, you know, go find a place to hide. Not any place. I'm telling you where to go hide. Go to the brook Cherith and, and, and just relax there. You'll be hidden there, and everything will be fine. I've commanded the ravens to come and feed you there. Verse 5, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread in the morning, 
bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and the flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. That's that's a a, a picture of God's provision, providing your need, right? The Lord provided Elijah's need. He provided protection for him. He provided what he needed to eat, and he provided what he needed to drink. And in doing so, Elijah had peace. He was comfortable. He was where he needed to be in the center of God's will, and everything was fine. He was protected, and he was being fed. But then we come to verse number 7. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up. Now, why did the brook dry up? Uh, some commentators believe this, the word brook is the same. What, what, it, what it actually means is a wadi. Anybody know what a wadi is? A wadi is a body of water that is produced because of rain. A lot of a lot of places over in Africa. We watched a, a movie one time that was talking about the life cycle of elephants, and uh, in in Africa they have a rainy season and then it gets they have a drought, and a rainy season comes once a year, and when the rainy season comes, then these bodies of water show up, and the elephants migrate there and they they get their water and that kind of thing, and then eventually because the rain stops, the wadis dry up. And because Elijah had spoken a word of prophecy to Ahab and said, it's not going to rain again until I say it is, because that happened, the brook dried up. Okay, so now you've got a problem. God has promised to, to meet his need, uh, but now the brook's gone. The brook that would, that would be kind of a challenge, wouldn't it? Lord, what are you going to do now? Well, let's see what the Lord did. Verse number 8. The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, that said this happened after, after a while that the brook dried up. So we don't know how long, but it wasn't a great deal of time. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, verse number 9, Arise and get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So where is this that God tells him to go? A city called Zarephath. And where's this city? In Zidon. Why is that important? Because Ahab married a woman named Jezebel, whose father was Ethbaal, king of Zidon. He was the king of the Zidonians. That was King of Zidon. So the Lord says to Elijah, okay, I got another place for you. Go down to Zarephath. That's down in Zidon. And, uh, and this, I, I don't know about you, but if I was Elijah, I think probably the last place, place I would want to go would be to Zidon. I mean, why would I go to the place where the wife of the king was from. I mean, it was her, her father was the king of that place. Why would I want to go there? But that's what God told him. 
Would you think that would be a bigger challenge than going to the brook Chera? It wasn't just where it was, but it was the fact that this is a widow woman who when he gets there, he learns what? That she has nothing. Okay, so he's got there both a challenge, what does God want me to do? And number two, how is God going to provide for me? It's what's, what is God going to do? Those two things. I can do all things and my God shall supply my need. Can I go and live? I mean, I, the, the brook Cherith was a good place. I was hidden. But now I'm going to Zarephath, which is a city in the middle of Zidon. That doesn't sound like it's a place to hide very well. And not only that, the first time God was telling the raven to bring him bread and meat and had a brook there. But now it's a widow woman who doesn't have anything. That's a little different situation. So I've commanded the widow woman there to sustain thee. Verse 9, verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of the sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God leaveth, liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Now notice in verse 12, the beginning of the verse, she said, as the Lord thy God liveth, which means she's aware of the fact that there was a God, but it wasn't her God, it was your God. Uh, the Lord your God, as he liveth, all I've got is a little bit of meal left in a barrel, a little bit of oil, and I'm going and I'm going to make us a cake and we're going to eat it and then we're going to die. The drought was so bad. They didn't have anything to eat. They didn't have anything to drink. There was nothing there. And they were just gonna, they were just gonna die. Verse number 13. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, and make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it to me, and after make for thee and thy son. And thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither will the cruise, shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And here's the miraculous thing. Verse number 15. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and her, and, and she and he and her house did eat many days. Verse 16. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. Okay, so that's an interesting situation. He goes from speaking to Ahab to sitting down by the brook Cherith, and he stays there for a while till the, till the brook dries up. Then the Lord says, go down to the Zarephath, the city in, in Zidon, and uh, live there, and this woman will, will take care of you. She doesn't have anything, but he does what she said, what he says, and she tells he tells her to make a cake for him and the Lord will take care of it, and He does. So that's that's a that's a that's a great story. When we come to verse seventeen, it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman 
the mistress of the house fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? That would be a tough thing. I mean, God spared them all by taking care of the meal and the oil, but in the middle of all this, the son dies, and she's blaming it on Elijah. Verse 19, And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft, where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come unto him again. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. Verse 24 And the woman said of Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. So God wrought a great miracle there. Okay, so the first thing, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Whatever challenge I come upon, I can handle it because God's going to give me the strength. First challenge was the brook Cherith. It wasn't a big deal. I mean, God's, I, it was a big deal. God, but God, the raven does what the Lord says. You know, there's not any, any question about that. And God supplied every need he had there until the brook dried up. Then go down to Zarephath. This is the middle of where the wife of the king, who I've challenged, her, her husband, her father, who is the king there, is not a friend. That's an enemy. And, uh, and this woman doesn't have anything. And on top of that, even though the Lord provided for the, 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 the meal and the, the oil to last, the boy, the boy dies. That's a, that's a bigger challenge than the book chair, wouldn't you say? And the Lord answered that challenge. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And my God shall supply all my need. He did. And then we come to verse 1 of chapter 18. And it came to pass, and here it is, came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah again. This is in the third year, saying something very different. Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Much bigger challenge this time. Verse 2, and Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab. And there was a sore famine in Samaria. Now we'll not read all, all the rest of this. Come down to verse 17. Verse 17, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? You're the one that's responsible for all this. You're the one that's the reason why we don't have anything to eat. You're the one that there's such a that's caused this drought here. You're the one. Ahab was saying, you're the one we've been looking for because you're the one that caused all this. Notice Elijah's response, verse 18. And he answered, 
I have not troubled Israel, but thou, and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather me all the Baal, uh, all, uh, uh, all, all Israel, gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the gross, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. And Ahab sent all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Now you see what's happened here. Three, over three years have passed now. Elijah went to Ahab's throne, got in to see Ahab, challenged him, said, it's not going to rain again till I say. God said, go down to, to, to the brook Cherith, hide there. Okay? I'll feed you there. Second challenge, go to Zarephath, where Jezebel's father lives, and I'll feed you there. There's a widow woman there. She'll have much, but I'll take care of you. Yeah, her son's going to die, but that's okay. I'll take care of that too. All right? You survived that challenge. God met his need. Third thing, go back to Ahab. And this time, I want you to say something different. I want you to call all of Israel, have him call all of Israel together and all the prophets together because, because you're, going to, you're going to challenge him. Verse 20, So Ahab sent all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together into Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people answered not a word. And, uh, and we'll go on. We're not, we're not going to take time to read it all. You know the story. Uh, verse 25, Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves. Dress it first. You're many and call upon the name of your gods, but put no fire under it. So they did all of that. And, uh, and then they called upon Baal from the morning even until noon. Verse 26. O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. Verse 27. It came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is, he is for he is a God, either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or provincial he sleepeth and must be awakened. Elijah had an awful lot of boldness. I mean, I, I'm not sure that I would have the courage to do that. There were several weeks ago we talked about doing the will of God and it took three things. It took conviction, then it took uh, uh, confidence, and then it took courage. It takes courage to do the will of God, and, a, and particularly in a challenge like this. He didn't just say, all right, you make the, 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 the altar, and then you pray and, and ask your God to, to set fire under it. But when it didn't happen, he began making fun of them. He would, it would even be a situation where probably in our society he would say, well, that's not very kind for you to mock them that way. But that's what he did. Because what they were doing was not going to work. Uh, notice verse number 28. They cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets until the blood gushed out upon them. It came to pass when midday was past. They prophesied until the time of the offering and the evening sacrifice. It was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. 
Verse 30, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid them on the wood and said, Fill your barrel, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. They did it the second time. He said, Do it the third time. They did it the third time. The water ran about the altar and he filled the trench also with water. And then we come to one of the most dramatic events in all of Scripture. Look at verse number 36. It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me. Why? That this people that may know that thou art the, the Lord God, that thou hast turned their heart back Again, verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and licked up the water that was in the trench. I don't know about you, but if I had been standing there, I probably would have been awed by what had just taken place. Can you imagine that? A full day of the prophets of Baal crying out to Baal and, and, and asking him, cutting themselves so that the blood gushed out. Please, set a fire under the, offer, under, under the burnt offering. And nothing happens. And Elijah builds this altar pours water over it three times, drenches it, there's a trench around it filled with water, and he prays to the true God, and God sends a fire, and it consumes everything. God answered in dramatic fashion. Now, why did that happen? God prepared him for what was going to take place here. First, by sending him to the brook Cherith. That was a simple challenge. That wasn't a big one. Second, to the home of Jezebel. That was a little bigger challenge. A widow woman that had nothing. And then third, once again to Ahab's throne and before all of Israel. And God answered in a mighty way. Now, when you think about those three events in the life of Elijah, and you think about Paul's statement to us as believers in Philippians chapter 4, two things that he said. Number one, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Number two, my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You see how that's illustrated in the life of Elijah? Now, couple things I want to point out. We've read three events, three events. One at the Brook Cherith, the second one with the woman 
and Zarephath, the third one, before Ahab's throne. Let's go back, and I want to show you three things that were consistently true in all three of them. Looking back in verse uh, chapter 17, verse 2, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, turn thee eastward, hide thyself by the brook Sheriff that's before Jordan. It shall be, thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. The word of the Lord came to them, came to him saying, do this, I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Verse 5, so he went. Look at verse number 8, and the word of the Lord came unto him saying, verse 9, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Verse 10, so he arose and went. Verse 1 of chapter 18, the word of the Lord came unto Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself unto Ahab. I will send rain. Didn't have to make a command there. He just said, I'll do it. Verse 2, and Elijah went. So the key to any of this is always obedience. It has to be absolute unquestioning obedience, which is a clear demonstration of our faith. It means that we believe, number one, that God will give me the strength to do what He wants me to do, and number two, He's going to provide every need I have while I'm trying to do His will. Our 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 Ability to face a challenge and be victorious is directly related to our willingness to trust God and to move at His command. That's exactly what Elijah did three times. Consider, consider also the impact. That's the exercise of Elijah's faith. Consider secondly the impact of Elijah's faith. The first challenge, who was impacted? When Elijah, by faith, said, okay, you want me to go to the brook sheriff? I'll go to the brook sheriff. Elijah, God said, go. He said, I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. And the Bible says Elijah went. And he sat down by the brook sheriff. He did exactly what God said, and the ravens fed him. Who was impacted by his faith in that situation? Certainly not the ravens. There was nobody else around. So who was impacted? It was Elijah. Elijah learned from that experience that God's going to do what he said he was going to do. Remember, there are three, three things that are, that are important. Number one, God's purpose, God's plan, and God's power. Elijah learned about God's purpose. He learned about God's plan, how he was going to do it. He learned about God's power. God gave him exactly what he said. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. Then he went to Zarephath. How was, how was, who, who was impacted by Elijah's faith there? Well, it started out with the woman at Zarephath. She said, the Lord, your God. But at the end, she said, in, in, in verse number 24, it says, the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and the word of the Lord is in thy mouth is truth. So in Zarephath, wasn't just Elijah whose strength was whose faith whose faith was strengthened, 
But for the woman and her son, their faith was established. That was the impact of Elijah's faith, which was a result of his willingness to obey. What about the third time? When he went before Ahab again, and the prophets of Baal. What kind of impact was what occurred as a result of that? Look in verse 19, verse 8, uh, chapter 18, again, verse number 39. Elijah prayed, the fire came, licked up the water that was in the trench. Verse 39, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, He is the God. The God, the, is a very, it, it represents exclusivity. He's the only one. The Lord, He's God. It's not Baal. Baal didn't answer. It's the Lord. Elijah's God. He's the God. He is the God we should be worshiping. And how many people were, were impacted by that? Thousands. We don't know. There's no. There's no. There's no uh, uh, number given. But all the people, it says, when all the people saw it, that was how they responded. In um, verse forty, Elijah said to them, to "Take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape." They took him, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. So the size of the victory in the challenge is determined by your willingness to exercise faith no matter what the challenge is that you're facing. And the impact is determined by the size of the challenge. And what happens if we forget that my God will give me the strength I need to do whatever. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. What happens if we forget that my God shall supply all my need according to the riches and glory? Well, we have an answer to that too. Chapter 19 and verse number 1, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, with all how he had, he had slain all the prophets of the sword with the sword. And Jezebel sent a message unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also... But make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Verse number three. And when he, that is Elijah, saw that, he arose and went. You know what's different about that situation? There's no statement that the word of the Lord came to him and said, I've commanded this to happen, so go do this. There's none of that. In this case, Elijah is looking where? Not at the God who has brought him to the place where he is now. He's looking at the enemy and the threat that they made on his life. And all of a sudden he forgot that I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, through God because of God's will, God's purpose, God's plan, God's power. He forgot all about that. How, how does that happen? I mean, he just he had just witnessed one of the greatest demonstrations of the power of God that is found anywhere in Scripture. God 
set fire, lapped up the water in the trench, consumed the altar, demonstrated his power because Elijah had said, I know I'm in the will of God and I'm doing what God tells me to do and it's going to be okay. God's going to take care of me. How does he go from that? Oh, wait a minute. Jezebel's threatening me. I've got to do something. I've got to get out of here. He goes in and we find him under the juniper tree, feeling like he's the only one left. He forgot the truth of what he had learned through those experiences, and he forgot the reality that God is in control. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Now those, those promises in the book of Philippians are to New Testament believers, obviously. But the principle holds in the Old Testament. The New Testament unfolds truths that are found in the Old Testament. And so Elijah and those three experiences, the brook Cherith, in Zarephath, and in Israel, all three, he saw the truth of the promises that God had given him. I can, I can meet the challenge. I can survive the challenge if I'm paying attention to God's purpose, following his plan, and trusting his power. It worked at the Brook Cherith. It worked in Zarephath. It worked when he stood before Ahab. And it'll work in your life too. Whatever you're facing, it'll work in your life too. My wife and I have been married for 48 years. You know what? In 48 years, the, the barrel of meal has not wasted. By the way, let me, let me, let me add this. This is a little side story or side principle. The, the barrel of meal. Does it matter how big the barrel is? Does it matter whether the barrel's full or half empty or all, almost empty or does it does any of that matter? What what difference does it make? You know, we live our lives and we want a big barrel and we want to be we want it to be full. And we want to take off the top and say, oh, we're okay because we've got this reserve, a lot big reserve left. It'd be wonderful if we all never had to worry or think about anything. But if that were the case we would never have to worry or think about God's provision. There's a reason why God put Elijah in that situation with a widow woman whose barrel was empty. And, and it was a while before the brook dried up, and then he went to Zarephath, and then it was in the third year when God told him to go to. So there's a significant period of time that passed there. And during all that time, the barrel of meal never wasted, nor did the cruise of oil fail. The point is, it doesn't matter if the barrel is the size of a gallon bucket or if the barrel is the size of a grain silo. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if God is the one that's making sure that it doesn't waste. And it doesn't matter whether it's full or empty. God is the one who's going to take care of it. We get so consumed with other issues that we fail to trust God. 
I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And my God shall supply all of our needs. He'll supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It's worked for us for 48 years. It's worked for 20 years at Trinity Baptist Church. Our barrel hadn't been very big. Those who have been around know that that's true. Isn't that right, Brother Larry? Our barrel hadn't been very big. And it certainly hasn't been full. But you know what? It never has run out. Because God, the God of heaven, is the one who's making sure it's still there. Because he has promised that he'll supply all of our need. And he has always done that. It worked for Elijah. It will work in our lives. If we'll remember that God has a purpose, but he doesn't just have a purpose. He's got a plan for making sure it works out. And our job is to be obedient to his plan. And he has the power to make sure it's fulfilled if we will trust him by faith. I, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, and my God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It will work for every one of us if we will willing to trust him. Let's stand together because of our last question. Father, we